Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Today's guest has some of the most meaningful and practical advice I've ever heard. His name is Jay Shetty. He's an author, a former monk, and the host of the podcast On Purpose. He is humble, generous, and continues to live by his purpose, making wisdom go viral. He dropped some gems today. This is 4D with Demi Lovato. Well, hello, Jay. Thank you so much for coming on 4D with Demi Lovato. I am so excited to have you, but I also want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. What do you want people to know about you? That's such a wonderful uh, question. I've, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's beautiful. I, w- I would like to be known as an individual who is trying to help people find their purpose in the world and help them create a life of service and impact through whatever their unique gifts and talents are. And someone who's trying to every day with mistakes and flaws, but trying every day to dedicate my life to uh, helping uplift anyone and everyone in any way that I know and that I can through what I've been given. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. Would you say that your purpose is helping other people's finding their own purposes? Absolutely, because Demi, I believe that everyone in the world has a gift, has a talent, has a unique quality or attribute that they may not even know about yet. And I also believe that there are many people in the world who are smarter than me, more thoughtful than me, more talented than me, have have different, unique, diverse talents. But I also believe that the world is missing out on anyone who's not living their purpose, that Mm. we all are missing out on someone who might have the cure to some of the world's deadliest diseases, but they're struggling with self-doubt. Or there might be someone who's going to create a new law that's going to benefit people in the most incredible way because they know how to fight for our rights, but they're struggling with anxiety and stress and pressure and they don't believe that they have a purpose. So I believe that we're actually losing out as society because there are so many people in the world who have answers, but they're scared to take that first step. How do you get someone to take that first step? What would you tell them to encourage them? I'd say that the first step for anyone is to explore, experiment, and experience. To me, everything is behind those three doors. The more we explore, 
the more we try new things, the more we experiment with new ideas and new thought processes and new philosophies, and the more we experience, the more we actually take ourselves to places that we've never been before, places we may not have heard of before, to meet people that we would never have been exposed to in our upbringing. To me, when we allow ourselves to be around people of different ideas, backgrounds, walks of life, thoughts, and I read this amazing study that was saying that people are more creative and more innovative when they know people who know people who don't know each other. So a lot of us grow up in these echo chambers. We know people who know people who know us back and therefore anything that we share or learn is pretty much moving in this very limited space and time and energy field. Whereas when you start surrounding yourself with people who are complete polar opposites, when we start embracing these polarities, you start noticing that there's far more connecting the dots. So this study by MIT was saying that people who had more diverse networks were more creative, more innovative, and came up with far more interesting solutions because they saw things from multiple lenses. When I come up with an idea, I want to know what you think. I want to know what the Dalai Lama thinks. I want to be able to be inspired from multiple thoughts and ideologies. I hope that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I love that piece of advice because it makes a lot of sense. How are you supposed to know and gain perspectives from other lives if you don't expand your circle. I imagine that you have gotten very good at telling your own story. Um, Does that ever get boring to you or does it change and evolve every time you tell it? And for those of you who don't know Jay's story, would you care sharing a little bit for us? Absolutely, so what I try and do is every time I get asked to share my story, I try to tell it like it's the first time and I try to explore a new part of my psychology or a nuance that I may have not uncovered before. That's the only way to really make it feel fresh every time. And so I pray and I hope and I intend that this time when I share it, that I can also discover something from it about myself. And so I feel when we're telling the same story about ourselves again and again and again, I'm always hoping that I actually learn more about myself in that storytelling. So I will try to do that. Uh, for those the, for those who don't know, I was born and raised in London and grew up as an average Londoner. And I was just fascinated by rags to riches stories. And it wasn't the riches that interested me. It was the transformation, the resilience, the the challenge, the breakthrough that people had gone through to get to where they are. And I got into this because I grew up not liking fiction books. I really didn't enjoy fiction books because to me they weren't real. Mm -hmm. And because they were made up, they didn't have as much impact to me. And so I thought I hated reading until the age of 14. Mm -hmm. And at the age of 14, I started reading non-fiction books and biographies and autobiographies. So I remember reading Martin Luther King's biography. I remember reading Malcolm X's biography. This was in my teens. And I also remember reading the biography of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and David Beckham and because I loved wrestling and soccer. And I was enamored by people who'd gone from nothing to something and the transition that it took. So this was before YouTube. It was before 4D. 
it was before podcasts. So you actually, actually had to go in person to hear people speak. And I would go and hear entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes speak every week in London when they were invited to an event or a university. And once I heard that a monk was invited to speak and I had zero interest in hearing from a monk. I thought I'm fascinated by people who go from nothing to something, not nothing to nothing. Like, right. what am I going to learn from him? I was very, I was actually quite pessimistic, not because I, I mean, it's humbling when I look back, I'm an idiot for being pessimistic about it, but I was, <laughs> I was, I'm humbled by it when I reflect on it because I went there expecting nothing and found a completely new path. And that's why I became so focused on wanting to encourage people to experiment, explore and experience because I nearly missed out on the greatest gift of my life because of my cynicism, pessimism and my skepticism. And so I go to this event and just to give you a state of my consciousness at the time, I told my friends I would only go if we went to a bar afterwards. That was the level <laughs> of my consciousness, just so everyone realizes. Mm -hmm. And I went to this event. I was looking at the clock thinking, you know, when's this going to start and end? And actually, I, I was completely shocked and, and blown away because the monks spoke about service and spoke about purpose and spoke about helping others and spoke about impacting others and spoke about how the meaning of life was to surrender and serve and and deeply impact the lives of people. And I thought, as an 18-year-old, I was only 18 years old, I've never heard this before. I'd heard about making money or becoming rich or becoming famous or becoming successful or building a billion-dollar company or things like that. But I'd never, ever heard anyone say that life was simple about serving people. And so I, he became my role model and... I started to study with him. I spent all my summer vacations and Christmas vacations living in India with him. And wow. then when I graduated, I turned down my corporate job offers and went and lived as a monk uh, in India and across Europe for three years. And it was truly one of the most uh, phenomenal experiences of my life. And over the last 10 years, in small ways in the beginning and today as things grow, I've just been trying to share what I've learned because when I came back, I realized that what I learned living as a monk was completely applicable and accessible to each and every person. And that if everyone was able to adopt a monk mindset, then we could improve our relationships, our life, our careers, and, and a lot of other areas of our emotion. I'm sitting here listening to this and I'm thinking, how can I apply some of these things to my life today? without going to <laughs> <laughs> India and becoming a monk. Absolutely. So no one has to shave their head or <laughs> wear robes or go and live on a mountaintop to experience the benefits of certain things that we're speaking about. And so I always say to people, you don't have to live like a monk to think like a monk. And mm. I, I want people to understand that, that these things can be made present in our lives. So one of the first things I'd say is at the beginning and end of every day, look at your calendar and schedule in time on your Google calendar, your Apple calendar, whatever calendar you use, create a time to spend time with yourself at the beginning and at the end of every day. Start there. That time with yourself is sacred. That begins the seeds of solitude. 
it creates an opportunity to learn about yourself. It makes sure that there's not too many days or weeks or months that go past and you don't feel like you're yourself. Mm -hmm. How many of us spend years being someone else and then we say, I've just wasted five years being someone I'm not. Right. And so if you take that time every day to be in solitude, even if it's five minutes at the beginning of your work day and five minutes at the end of your day, and at the beginning of your day, you check in with yourself and you ask yourself this one question. What's the one thing I can do for myself today that's going to make today a great day? Mm, what's the like one that. thing I can do for myself? Not what's one thing I want to happen or one dream. What's the one thing I can do for myself? And then at the end of every day, check in with yourself and say, how did it go? How am mm. I feeling? How did I do? And, and I feel like something as simple as that, it starts this dialogue and strength of solitude. It begins that journey. As someone who shares so much wisdom, advice, and perspective, has having a podcast allowed you to flip the script a bit? Absolutely. Like I think that it would be my biggest mistake to feel that I have arrived or that you have got to the place or that you know the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. I, I think all of that is an ego trap and an yes. ego mindset and it misleads you and it makes you feel like you're doing everything right, but actually it's leading you down a path so far away from everything. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a beautiful story that I love uh, from Marcus Aurelius's meditations where Marcus Aurelius had a, a man paid a minister to follow him around the Roman Times Square. And the minister's only job was to whisper in his ear, you're just a man, you're just a man. And because he would be praised and given so many accolades and treated with so much adoration, he, he needed that reminder inside of himself. Uh, with my life, I think a big part of monk culture was student culture and humility. These were traits that were considered to be the highest traits where monks who were 70 years old would sit down at the back of a class of a new 30-year-old monk or a 20-year-old wow. monk. And so that culture of you're never too advanced to learn or grow was always embedded. For me, my podcast has allowed me to re-expose and experience myself to people I would never meet, people I would never talk to on an everyday, and also to discover parts of them that I didn't know about. And so I personally believe that having a podcast is the best excuse of getting to know people and getting to learn about people and to never feel that you have completed your learning, which I think is such a dangerous mindset in no matter how much of an expert you are in any field. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm an expert at all. I'm just saying to even feel that way is so dangerous. Do you say that that is one of your biggest takeaways from your podcast? I'd say one of the biggest takeaways from my podcast is even if you don't learn something new, you can always learn something more deeply. Ooh. And, and I think we're so fascinated in our day and age for like new information, new news, even the word news. We're just addicted to what's new, what's the latest, what's, what's the next new thing that happened. And I actually believe that there are not many new ideas. There are only deeper ideas. Oh, yes. Yeah, I want to go deeper. I want depth and someone 
may not share a new idea with me. I may have read that or heard that, but they are, they can take me deeper if I let them. So what are your values and how do they differentiate from the values that you had when you were younger, before you became a monk? So I'd say my values from before I became a monk were pleasing my parents, mm-hmm. trying, to, trying to make my parents happy for, for what they wanted of me. I would say to try and be a good person and be a kind person. I think that was always a value of my uh, mind. I never wanted to hurt anyone or I always wanted to be equal with everyone. That was a big Mm -hmm. value of mine growing up. Even when my friends would say, let's compete to see who can do this more or who can lift this or who's going to get more girls numbers tonight or the stupid things you say. Yeah. Uh, You know, I was always the person that like, no, 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 we're all equal. Like, it's all good. Like, we don't need to, we don't need to. I was always that guy. Yeah. And so I think equality was a big value of mine as a kid. Trying to be a good person and be kind to others and then trying to please my parents. Those were three of my values. And I'd say now, I'd say one of my biggest values is service. I really believe that trying to do everything I do in an intention and mindset of it being a service or an offering to help others uh, is, is where that goodness and kindness has deepened. Being good was often something I did for myself to feel like I was a good person. Mm-hmm. But being of service is regardless of how I'm perceived. Being of service is just a mindset to live by. That desire to be good was something I, I think ultimately was coming from an ego, but my desire to serve is trying to to, to change that from a perception point of view. I'd say another value of mine today is play. I'd oh, big, yes. Big value of mine is play. And I'd say my wife takes all the credit for that because Cute. she brought so much playfulness back into my life because she's a, she's a little child in a, a 30-year-old <laughs> woman's body. And, and it's the most beautiful thing because it allows me to release my inner child and allows me to not take life too seriously and not be too you know, like trying to make everything like perfect. And, you know, she's, she's great at breaking that barrier for me and play also in, I've started to play more sports today. And, and, and when I say play more sports, not to get good at them, but because I want to feel that playfulness in yeah. my life. Yeah. Um, so I'd say a big value of mine. And I read this beautiful quote, I believe it, it's from Richard Branson. And he said, we don't stop playing because we get old. We get old because we stop playing. Oh, yes. I love that. And I love that. And I was like, yes, like if I keep playing and and that's true. When you look at the science behind that, all the science suggests that people who play sport have better hand-eye coordination. They have better brain health. Uh, I've been playing a lot of tennis and, and ping pong and table tennis. And I've been told by every clinical neuroscientist I sit down with that that's really good for my brain. It's really good for oh. my mind. So even from a scientific point of view, it's great advice. And then I'd say uh, my last value, I have many more, but I think the last value I have today is to challenge myself to sit with discomfort. Mm. Uh, I think growing up, I would have avoided conflict. Sometimes trying to be nice to people was just so that we didn't have any conflict. So we didn't have any issues so that we didn't rock the boat. That desire for equality, I don't know if it came from it, it wasn't coming from a deep place. It was just coming from a let's not have any issues place. Right. And today I would rather challenge myself to sit with discomfort to create real peace because peace doesn't come from avoiding conflict. Peace comes from accepting discomfort.
Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What do you think is the most common question people come to you with? Is it goal setting? Is it finding their purpose, finding joy and happiness? I, I think there's two. And the other one we spoke about. So one of the ones we started with was, Jay, what's my purpose? How do I find it? What is purpose? Which you mm-hmm. asked me at the beginning. So that's definitely a big one. I'd say the other one is, Jay, I just broke up with someone. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Or I'm dating someone. Are they right for me? Is this love? I think a lot of the conversation is around finding love, relationships, marriage, commitment, uh, being a couple, like I think those mm-hmm. are big questions that I get asked. Why do you think that is? I, I really believe it's because the quality of our life, as we all know, is defined by the health of our relationships. Mm. And I remember interviewing Dr. Robert Waldinger, who completed the 75-year Harvard study on human happiness. And Harvard looked at human happiness for 75 years. They had four professors do this study. And a good friend of mine, Dr. Robert Waldinger, he completed this study. And he said that the number one indicator for human happiness they discovered was the quality and health of our relationships. Mm. How deeply we loved, how deeply we cared, how meaningfully we felt supported by the people we love in our lives. And I think because we never had a class in school as to how to develop good, healthy relationships, I think all of us today are struggling to understand what does a good, healthy relationship even look like? And I think we have these perceptions based on movies and TV shows and characters and things that we've all been programmed to believe is a healthy love story, not realizing that they all skip the beginning, middle, and the end. Right. And that there's so much more depth to that. So I think that's why that's such a big question. Mm. I also feel like we're we're constantly, at least for me, I'm not in a relationship right now, but I would come to you and I would ask probably a similar question. I would probably say, you know, how can I find somebody? How can I, because I would love to be in a relationship if I could, Um I just haven't found that person yet. And so what advice would you give to me? Um, Someone who is looking for a relationship, but um, hasn't found the right person yet. I think that's such a uh, very vulnerable and, and, and very beautiful question. So first of all, I would thank you for your vulnerability and, and your openness. Mm -hmm. I would also, this is something that I believe from 
the few exchanges and conversations we've had that you're already doing. And you said this to me, you said, you know, it's important that we love ourselves first before we try to find love. And so for anyone who would ask me that question, I genuinely would first say, have you learned to love yourself? Mm. And, and I'm not saying, do you love yourself? That's not the question. It's, are you learning to love yourself? Yeah. Are you learning about yourself? Are you learning about what you need and what brings you joy and, and what type of relationship you're looking for and mm. what you think is going to enhance and complement you, not fill your holes? I, I would never want someone to find a person because they want that person to fill all the gaps in their life. Right. So the first question I'd say is, are you filling your own gaps? Are you, uh, are you giving yourself what you want from someone else? Mm. Uh, if, if you want validation from someone else, first give yourself validation. If, if you want compliments from someone else, first give yourself compliments. Mm. Because if you go into meeting someone already feeling full and validated and assured and complimented, guess what? That person will have to really give you something special wow. to, to, to be important to you. Now, when we talk about finding people, I really believe that you find people in places of equal value. Mm. And when you go to a place, a place has an energy, it has a vibration, it has a frequency. And so people of similar vibrations and frequency gather together in certain places. If you find, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying any, anything's better or worse, but if you go to a place of lower frequency, yeah. you will find someone of a lower frequency. Yes. And you're allowing that frequency now into your life. So I often find that people find the right people when they are uh, maybe doing charity work, when they're doing philanthropy work, when they're traveling yeah. the world to a remote place to uh, learn about a new culture. They meet people when they're working on a project that's very close to their heart and means something to them. Yeah. It may be a movie, it may be a song, but it's it's doing something that has that depth where you asked me that beautiful question a few moments ago, what are your values? We need to go to places where our values are present. Wow. And so I think the more we're present in projects, places, the people will appear in those projects and places where our values are present. When I say I needed to hear that, I needed to hear that. Oh my <laughs> God. Wow. I definitely needed to hear that. Um, how do your practices affect your physical and mental health? For example, gratitude, mindfulness, you know, empathy, discipline, how do they affect our physical well-being too? Yeah, and, and that's a really important distinction, but connection that I ignored for a long time. So I was so focused on mastering my mind that I ignored and neglected my body for a long time. And I really got to places with my mind and my soul and, and energetically, but that neglect and decline of my body made me realize that it actually had to be in sync. There had to be a, a connection between the mind and body. You couldn't just do one or the other. And I find that people who obsess over their body usually end up thinking, okay, now I need to work on my mindset. And people who obsess on their mindset usually figure out, okay, well, I need to take care of this body that I live in. Right. So for me, I'd say one of the biggest practices that helps my mind and my body is good quality sleep. 
And the reason why I go to sleep is you don't have to learn a new skill. You don't have to download an app unless you listen to sleep music, which is wonderful. But it's something that you don't have to build a muscle to sleep. We all need sleep. And I know that people struggle with insomnia and people struggle with other challenges with their sleep. But we all know that sleep is something that is within reach. Mm -hmm. And for me, sleep has become something that I don't negotiate with. Mm -hmm. And so my practice, and I read about this, the science shows that when you sleep before 12, the human growth hormone is more active. And so all of the cleansing, all of the purification, all of the rewiring of our brain, all of that is happening more effectively before midnight. And all of it becomes slightly more challenging and slower after midnight. So I really try to get into bed about 9.30. I try and be in at sleep by like 10 latest. And I usually wake up at about 6 a.m. every day. And that's a good amount of time for me. But people say to me like, oh, Jay, like you wake up early or maybe some people think I sleep in. For me, I know I need about eight hours. Eight hours and 15 minutes is like a really ideal amount of sleep for me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when I sleep well, my mind feels settled, it feels clear. My body feels rested and energized. And now I can actually give my energy out or, or serve or whatever it may be. So I think that really affects my mind and body. Uh, another practice that really, really affects my mind and body, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking about probably more simpler ones because I think that they're more accessible, but eating on time. Mm. A few years ago, I used to skip meals. If I was recording a podcast or I was doing an interview or I was writing and I was in the flow and in the zone, I would skip meals. And then I realized I was struggling with indigestion. I was struggling with bloating. I was struggling with cramps. I was struggling because I wasn't giving my body what it needed at a certain time. I stopped skipping meals. Uh, not only do I intermittent fast, but I set my timing where I keep regulated and committed. And I found my body is in a happy, committed relationship with me. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I realized, that if you don't commit to, if you're in a relationship with someone and you don't commit, to their requirements and their needs that are basic needs, then how can they give you what you need? Mm. And, and so for me, my body is definitely something that I, I try and take care of in that way. And then meditation, uh, you mentioned there before, I've been meditating for, uh, I, I have a meditation practice that lasts about two hours every day. And I either do it in one go or I do it in 30 minute blocks, or I do it in one hour and one hour blocks. And I've been doing that now for 16 years. And that meditation practice involves breath work, visualization, and mantra, sound meditations. Mm -hmm. And that for me, the breath work helps me get my body in line. So Demi, how many times have you ever woken up in the morning and your mind's ahead of your body? <laughs> Right? <laughs> so your mind, many times. Your mind is racing yes. and your body's like, oh, let me stay in bed. Like this yes. is the worst. Yes. Or you experience the opposite. Your body wakes up and runs around and is frantic and your <laughs> mind is saying, just let me stay in bed. Yes. And so we find that we wake up with this lack of alignment. Our body's ahead of our mind or our mind's ahead of our body. So when we start our morning with breath work, we're aligning our body and our breath, which aligns our body and our mind. Mm. And so to me, that's the first thing I do in the morning. I then practice visualization because to me, visualization is like a dress rehearsal in my head. So I will rehearse me coming to my camera for this interview. I will set an intention in my visualization of how do I want to show up when I see Demi today? What energy do I want to bring? 
Uh, what, how would I like to serve? And so I'll do a dress rehearsal in my head, not of the best case scenario, not of the worst case scenario, but just of how I want to show up. Mm. And then finally, I'll end with mantra, which is repetitive divine sound, because to me, sound can transport us. And when we meditate with spiritual sound vibration, we're able to uplift our consciousness to be operating from that state. Mm. I love that. How do we become self-aware without becoming selfish? So to me, self-awareness is our right and it is our it is an opportunity and permission that we need to give ourselves to be aware of the body and mind we live in. To me, self-awareness comes from checking in with ourselves before and after activities. So before I eat something, I'll say, how do I feel about this food? And after I eat it, I'll be like, now how do I feel about this food? And the best thing about that is that that before and after helps you develop a healthy relationship. So I find that healthy things feel painful in the beginning and great <laughs> afterwards, yes. but unhealthy things feel really good in the beginning yes. and really painful afterwards. Mm. And so I feel self-awareness to me is asking myself questions. Yes. And, and allowing myself to answer them honestly. How do I feel about the movie I just watched? How do I feel when I spend time with that group of people? Mm-hmm. How do I feel when I listen to that song? I think those are self-awareness principles that we all need to know the answer to because they help us make better decisions. Mm-hmm. I think self-awareness leads to self-centeredness when we think that that is the only way, the right way, or the best way. So... I know what types of movies I like. I love Christopher Nolan movies. They're all, uh, I'll name some, Prestige, Memento, The Dark Knight Trilogy, Inception, Interstellar. Like these are the kind of movies that Mm -hmm. get me going because they all mess with the mind and they have clever messages and ideas and all the rest of it. But if I believe that that is the best taste in movies or those are the only movies you should watch, or that I have the right perspective on how to be a movie critic, then that's where it's turned into self-centeredness. So I think the way of checking yourself on being self-centered is, do I think I'm always right? Do I think I am the only way? And do I feel that what I think and believe is the best? If I do think any of those three things, I'm moving towards self-centeredness because I'm not allowing for other people's experiences, I'm not allowing for other people's backgrounds, cultures, traditions, choices. And so to me, it's giving up that desire that I'm the best, I'm right, or this is the only way. Ah, And then with materialism, can you spend your life attaining material things without becoming materialistic? Yeah, so I really believe that when you live in abundance, mentally, spiritually, energetically, you will attract both spiritual and material things into your life. Uh, Because abundance, the law of abundance is such that abundance means you attract everything. Mm. Uh, And I struggled with this for a long time because I grew up believing that if you wanted to do good in the world, you had to be poor or you had to have nothing. Because I grew up with a mindset that had been programmed for people I'd spent time with that or people who are successful, they had to hurt someone to get there. Or people who are rich, they must have had to do something dodgy to make it there. And so I had quite a warped and limited view growing up of of success and, and wealth. And then I started to realize that if 
if we're saying that you have to be bad to be successful or wealthy, I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where the wealthiest people are the most generous people. Yes. Amen. And the most successful people are the ones who use their platform to help others. And we, you, you do this. You are famous. You are successful. You have an amazing platform. And you are trying your best, in your own words, to use it in the service of others and to help others in your own way that you can. And so I really believe, and, and there's a beautiful principle uh, in the uh, spiritual tradition that I studied, and the principle is called Yukta Vairagya. And I'll explain what that means. It means that real detachment is using everything you have for others. So real detachment is not about not having. Real detachment is about using everything you have to help others. Mm. And so uh, there's a beautiful uh, imam who has this amazing proverb. I've forgotten his name. I'm trying to think. I want to get it right. I believe it's... Uh, Al Shafi, I, I'll have to check that. But he said that detachment doesn't mean that you own nothing. Detachment means that nothing owns you. Ooh. And to me, that's the definition of detachment that I connect to and resonate with. Again, I don't think it's the best, the only, or the right one. Right. It's just the one that I've resonated with. And he said that detachment doesn't mean that you own nothing. Detachment means that nothing owns you. And what that means is that you can have whatever you have, but it doesn't own you. It doesn't define you. It's not what you turn to for your happiness. You know mm. that it provides you safety. It provides you security. It provides you sustenance, but you don't look to it for your joy. So I think often in the pursuit of happiness, we undermine material things. But I actually think we should accept material things for what they are. That's what they do. It's like, this microphone helps me record. <laughs> yes. But if I expect this microphone to make me happy, it won't. A house lets me feel safe and secure. But if I expect my house to make me happy, it can't. Yeah. And so accept it for what it is. Treat it with what it is. I love that. That makes so much sense, though. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 
Well, you've talked a lot about finding connectivity between different parts of your life with relationships, family, friends. Does this inform your idea of the fourth dimension? Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I do believe that the fourth dimension opens up to us when we truly allow ourselves to see connections where other people would see anomalies. Mm. I think where, where people would see randomness, but we see the intersection and yeah. the, the juxtaposition of ideas. To me, that's where the fourth dimension opens up. I know your beautiful graphic that you have of the colors <laughs> coming out of your eyes, like that vision becomes available to us when we allow ourselves to see connection, unity, when we allow ourselves to see patterns mm -hmm. as opposed to seeing random dots and seeing things as opposites and disconnected. So I, I completely agree with you. I think the fourth dimension is available and accessible to each and every person, but it can't be it can't be met or received when we see things in silos or disconnected from everything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, you pretty much just answered it, but my my last and final question, which I ask everybody on this podcast is, what does living in the fourth dimension mean to you? But you pretty much just answered that. <laughs> is yeah, there anything you would about... like to add to that? Yeah, I, I think living in the fourth dimension means honoring what we don't know. And I think we already struggle to honor what we do know and what we do have. And therefore, there's a long way to go to honor what we don't know and what we don't know about what we don't know. But living in the fourth dimension means accepting that and saying, there are so many things I don't know. And that's okay. That doesn't make me unintelligent. It doesn't make me unlovable. It doesn't make me unsmart or it doesn't make me not worthy it actually just gives me a wealth of opportunity to go out and have more experiences so i love that and i think that's what it means to love live in the fourth dimension oh, well thank you so much jay for coming on this podcast i had an incredible time talking to you today once again it was an honor speaking to you and i can't wait to see you I know, me too. It's been too long. I it really has. can't wait to get together again. We have to get a lock. We have to get yes. my wife and we all have to hang out. We look forward to it. But thank you for your time today. This was just beautiful, honestly. Thank you.